Here at the TalkHouse Podcast, we want to hear from you, about you, our listeners. Go to bit.ly slash TalkHouse survey to fill out a two-minute survey. To make it worth your while, we'll be giving away a Fender Mahogany acoustic guitar, a 9LP prize pack courtesy of the folks at Secretly Group and Dead Oceans, a custom Levi's jean jacket, and four $25 Amazon gift cards to lucky participants. That link again is bit.ly slash TalkHouse survey. What's up? This is Ellie Einhorn. Welcome to the TalkHouse Music Podcast. I am very excited to introduce my guest, the brand new music editor-in-chief of the TalkHouse, Amy Rose Spiegel. Hey, Elia. Glad to be here. Thanks so much for joining me. Now, in today's episode, we're going to be taking a look back at some of our favorite moments from this year's episodes so far. Those include A Tribe Called Quest's Jerobi White with Starita, Remembering Fife Dog, Zenya Rubinos and Diggable Planet's Ladybug Mecca discussing intersectional feminism, iconic bassists Andy Rourke of the Smiths and Peter Hook of Joy Division in New Order talking about the very first time they saw each other, and the Flaming Lips' Wayne Coyne asking the legendary hip-hop producer Prince Paul about De La Soul's precedent-setting sampling issues. Now, Amy Rose, to kick this off, A Tribe Called Quest had a massive and bittersweet year last year. Yeah, so Tribe did have a big year. In November of last year, they released We Got It From Here, Thank You For Your Service. Sadly, Fife Dog passed away uh, a few months prior. But from there, they remembered him really beautifully. I'm reminded of the SNL performance where they unfurled the banner of him. So powerful. They were at the Grammys. They, Yeah, they had a really big year. They did. They hit number one for the first time in their career. So awesome. It, it was so powerful to see. And, and when we sat down with Jerobi, I thanked him for making a record that felt like an antidote to so much that was going on in our country at the time. Yeah. And you could really feel Tribe's brotherhood and sense of camaraderie in the music. And I think a lot of us really needed that. Listeners, in, in case you're not aware, A Tribe Called Quest is comprised of four guys. There's Q-Tip, Ali Shaheed Muhammad, Jerobi White, who has been an on-again, off-again member over the years, and of course, the MC Fife Dog. Fife Dog had had very serious complications from diabetes for quite a while. And when Jerobi White and Starita, who was the very last engineer to work with Fife before he passed, they were working up until three days or so before his death, sat down, the conversation quickly turned to a track that is still unreleased where Fife addresses all of the joys and drama that happened throughout Tribe's career. Let's give that tape a listen. Fife was working on the, on the Tribe record and then wanted to start doing some sessions closer to home. So he came to Fantasy Studios, which is where I was engineering with him. And uh, we hit it off, started working on things. We were working on um, some tracks that didn't even make the record. <laughs> and, uh, and then Disgeneration as well. Um, but Fife was, he was just, he was kicking ass and taking names in the studio. I mean, he was blazing through everything. Yeah, at the last few records that he made, those last Tribe records, Fife was on fire. Yeah, it, it's, definitely, it's on fire. <laughs> the last tune that we recorded was called "Forever." So, yeah, and it was a trip. the The vibe in the studio, like Fife, didn't seem, you know, down or anything. But it kind of got. A, there was a little bit of heaviness in the air, and he started. He said, "Yo, I'm gonna pull up this track. Let's let's see if we can knock this one out." And, um, you know, sitting there, and he's writing and writing, and then he's like, "I'm ready," and he jumps in the booth and. There was like it's like three verses in there. It's a lo- it's long, you know. And uh, he starts telling the story 
of when they grew up together, from the beginning all the way up through you know the problems that Tribe had, and then to the current day, he just he told the entire story, and it was almost like a like a you know a goodbye letter. You no, know? it's definitely was. Yeah, you know. Um, whew, this is heavy. It mm-hmm. took us a while to listen to this shit. Mm-hmm. Um, Talk for <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but just back to that track, it was, um, yeah, it was a while. It just kind of sat there for a little while because everybody was kind of, I don't think, could deal with it at that point in time. But, uh, I mean, the the track, was it's just so heavy. And, um, you know, it was almost like he got that off his chest and was like, okay, I'm, I'm cool now, you know. Uh, <laughs> for him to be able to put so much emotion into that song, and for shit to like to be lyrically sound still, yeah, 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 yeah. fucking track. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a feat in itself. Yeah. Like you know, what I'm saying, I don't know how he got through that. Yeah, I don't know how he got through that. Um, uh, listening to the shit, like he very specifically says goodbye to <sighs> me, Tip, and Ali, and all the fans. Very specifically, mm-hmm. and thank you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, He's the most amazing man in the world because nobody gets to close this shit out. Mm-hmm. Five got to absolutely close his life yeah. out. You know? <laughs> he did everything he wanted to do, how he did it, close it up, and got a send off. He was like, I'm finished. And he got mm-hmm. to finish. Yeah. Who the fuck gets to finish? Right. Nobody gets to win. Nobody gets to finish except for Five Dog. Mm-hmm. So he's the most amazing motherfucker ever to me. Really beautiful story. It's clear how much they meant to each other. And just that song sounds so powerful and personal. Um, it's amazing that they got to have that together. God, it is. You know, in the rest of the podcast, Jerobi talks about he and Q-Tip and Fife growing up in Queens and how close they were and how close they stayed over the years. And I've gotten emotional in a number of our recordings. There, there have been a number of podcasts that went to places that were very vulnerable and very powerful but I have never full-on cried in a podcast recording until this happened Jerobi you you can hear him in the beginning trying to sort of keep it together trying to hold back the tears and uh, at that point everybody's eyes in the room are are starting to tear up Jerobi Starita our engineer and producer Mark Yoshizumi and myself and and then when Jerobi started crying I just lost it too. And we actually had to stop the podcast recording just for about 10 minutes. And I left the room we were recording in. We were at a publicity firm's office in a conference room. And I went to the front desk and got us a box of tissues. And the four of us just shared them out and wiped our eyes. This was such a powerful conversation. Yeah. Moving on to another powerful conversation, we have Zenya Rubinos and Ladybug Mecca discussing intersectional feminism. And they do so in a way that's really respectful and open. And I think it's a really lovely examination of how you can differ a little bit and still find common ground. Completely agree. It was it was so great to see these women who are huge fans of each other's music first sit down and geek out together and then get really deep. And beyond this clip, they, they there's a fantastic conversation about being the only woman in their touring party and how difficult and isolating that can be for them. Yeah, in this clip, the two discuss identity and self-love and what that means to them. Check it out. I was curious how you, um, 
I, I, I really admire, I admire your aesthetic or what I perceive to be some of your aesthetic that I've heard in your music in terms of like um, bringing different kinds of music together. I think I identify with, um, with having an ear for many different kinds of musics and not being so uh, preoccupied about style um, or genre or culture or right. ethnicity or where things are coming from. Right. I really identify with that. And I wonder, um, you know, right now it feels to be a time, at least in this country for me, where everyone is celebrating their differences and calling out like where they're from or who they, like what their cultural identity is, which is really cool. But there's also this like flip side of that where it's feeling very divisive or okay. divisive. Okay. Like it's really awesome that we're all like, I'm a woman, I'm, you know, transgender, right. I'm Puerto Rican, right. I'm like, and like pride and, and that's awesome. But on the flip side, it kind of feels like there's more divisions than ever. And sometimes I like mm. to wonder how like this musical aesthetic of bringing in all these different things and seeing the commonality in all of them, like mm. how could... I don't know. Could that inf- help us inform the way we engage with with people culturally? Is that could that be the same thing, or is it just is it totally I'm, different? I, like, okay, I I view things a little different. Like, I feel like okay, yes, we're in a moment where everyone is you know celebrating like who they are, but I really feel like um, like a lot of people are actually joined together mm. in their differences. I don't feel. Like among that, all of that, I don't feel a separation. There is mm. a separate, there is a clear, clear separation between mm-hmm. like certain groups in the country. But uh-huh. um, I feel like we're all kind of, you know, we're all at the same time just like practicing like self love and mm. you know affirming that. Like I, I don't know, I don't feel the di- the divide like that. Mm. That's good. That's a good perspective. Maybe it's a maybe it's a concern and maybe it's not a reality or maybe an experience I'm like, thing. I mean, I don't know what yeah. what informed yeah. you know this for you. Sometimes, yeah. yeah, I feel like sometimes at um, in the show culture, which is where I spend a lot of my time recently, of like touring and being around. Um, this is I'm actually working on an article I'm researching for the Talk House, and it may it's maybe going to be called like Why is your audience so white or like and male. Maybe, okay. like maybe that's what it's going to be called. But it's basically about the many experience that I've had either going to a show or performing at a show and um, feeling like a lack of diversity and feeling this kind of clickiness or these very delineated spaces that people move in and people are calling people out for. Um, it's a thought that's in process. I'm a little bit unorganized about how no, it's I'm fine, presenting it's fine. it. So what I love about this is that it's obviously not a messy topic, but one that people are going to have really differing opinions on. And they dive right into it anyway. And they're not afraid to disagree with each other and to share their points of view and their experiences. I think that's really great. It was powerful. Mecca says at one point, um, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't know what informed your thinking on this. Giving real power to the individual experience informing their view. Right. There's no party line to tow here for either of them. There's just this really subjective and generous conversation that they're extending to each other. I have to say, I'm really looking forward to that article from Xenia. And parenthetically, this conversation came out of a piece that she wrote for the Talk House, which was a review of the Brooksill record that came out last year. Brooksill being a band that features Don Newkirk, Brazilian MC Gorilla Urbano, Ladybug Mecca, and DJ Prince Paul. 
who you'll hear in the next clip talking with Wayne Coyne of The Flaming Lips. So the background to this is Wayne has been wanting to do a podcast with us for a while now. Due to scheduling differences, it's been a little difficult to get together. But he told me that he's found a, a real interest in hip hop. Specifically, he loves ASAP Rocky. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? I think the more acid that ASAP Rocky raps about, the more Wayne likes it. <laughs> a lot in common there. Yeah. So when we suggested Prince Paul as a pairing for Wayne, he was really excited to sit down with him. And out of the gate, the man who made the movie Christmas on Mars asks Prince Paul about the track Transmitting Live from Mars, which is from the first De La Soul record. This is a very iconic record in the hip hop canon and one which saw a lawsuit that really changed the way samples were used. So here you have Wayne Coyne asking Prince Paul about the Turtles song You Showed Me being repurposed. Check it out. Before we were, I mean, we'd been sitting here for a few minutes um, without the show going. And um, I just immediately jumped into asking about that, transmitting yeah, live this, on Mars, this, which I, which I feel like is a, it's like a it's a game changing whatever that means in the world. It's like <laughs> to hear that song on like a crazy popular record, like the the first De La Soul record, and to be like, what is that track? You know, I think it was it was before we really understood really what sampling was. You know. Back then, we were just taking like little bits off of people's records and just recording them into our cassette four track and then putting them on our records. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and unfortunately, I had a big lawsuit behind that record yeah. as well. But you know, you know, like so, after, like immediately when you did it, or it had been out for a while, and then and then it's probably it was probably out like a, a couple of months. But you know, the, the crazy thing is. Having that lawsuit really didn't matter because I didn't make any money before that. So I didn't know what it was like to have money, right. <laughs> let alone lose money. Was it was it money that you hadn't that the record hadn't earned yet? Or yeah, was I mean, you know, because before then I was in a group called Stetsasonic, and and you know I was making, you know, lunch yeah. money. Yeah, you yeah. know, could you do yeah. it for the love? And then mm -hmm. later on, when I made this record, unbeknownst to all of us, it, it did really well, really fast. It did. Do you feel like if if it hadn't done so well, it, the song would be out there and no one would care? Oh, of course. And did you get the feeling that they thought, hey, you're making all this money. We want ours. And you're like, we're not making all that much money. And they still want theirs. Is that how it went? Um, I, I guess I wouldn't say just that because at that point, the record started selling. It started charting really fast. Right, and, right. And, you know, getting the cult yeah. following. So It was, you know, yeah. So I, I'm sure the, the cha-ching effect, cha-ching, you know, the, the money signs them, in the eyes. To the yeah, publishing yeah, company. Yeah, yeah, it came up in the eyes. And I mean, I, mean, I would have did the same thing, you know, in hindsight, you know. Did you not think... That that was going to happen, or you hadn't considered, or you thought it might happen. Oh or? no! I, I I mean, I was a kid. I didn't. I one. I probably didn't care then because it was all about the music. It had nothing yeah. to do. I didn't exactly. Yeah. You know, you, you give it to the label. It's in the label's hands. It's in the lawyer's hands. And of you the label. felt like if there's going to be some trouble, they would probably. No, yeah, because no. I know I know I, I wasn't getting in trouble because yeah, I was yeah. like I, I did my part, you know. And that's a long debate. With, you know, it's the, a, the label a, will go and say probably something different. But I mean, as time went on, you know. Uh, Things kind of worked itself out. You did know? you did you change? I mean, we're talking about the turtle song, right? And, and yeah, did you change it at all, or was that just that, that's the way it is on the record? And then you loop it. Yeah, and, you just take just, we just threw a beat underneath it, find low key points that we said, okay, you know, maybe the first two bars, maybe that's part when the violins come in. Um, you know, Paz had a lot uh, in the group, had a lot of putting that together, and then it, it was you know, did you then so, all the magic happened? So it was. 
the the not the turtles themselves, not the people in the group, but like a publishing entity. No, see now, this is where this the story gets beautiful. Is, <laughs> is, is, is this is this is what was told to me? Is that apparently one of the guys in the group of the turtles, his daughter was playing the De La Soul record in the house, and you know he's chilling, and all of a sudden he walks past and he hears this song. He goes, peeps his head back and he looks in and goes, "Hey, <laughs> play that again. That's my song." Who made this record? And that's how it all started. Like for the bad or for the good? Like he liked it or he didn't like it? or no, he thought of, that's my soul. <laughs> I want my money. Oh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It wasn't even more like, who, who recorded my record? And what is that French crap probably, I'm just guessing, on uh, my song? Right. You know, and that's for how me, it- For me personally, if, if you took one of our songs and you did something like that, I would say... I think that's wicked, and I wouldn't. I would just say, man, I think that's the coolest thing ever. And I wouldn't. I, for me personally, I wouldn't have asked for anything. Wow. For that me, is, I, I mean, because I mean, it's you know, for me, when I when people talk about stealing music, you know, I always say, you know, it's not like if I stole your bicycle. Right. And what the, what I mean is, if if you have a bicycle and I take it, I have your bicycle, and you don't. <laughs> With music, That's a good it's way like at it. <laughs> you are using his music, but his music is still there. Right. You know, it still exists. Nothing has changed about the way it was presented to the world before. And now, to some knowledgeable people, they may know, oh, you're repurposing or reimagining this thing. But for most people, like initially myself, I just thought it was a cool imaginative, otherworldly track. Hey, I thought it was a cool, imaginative, worldly record, but, you know, (laughs) everything is perspective, as you know. This is funny to me because I'm just imagining the member of the Turtles having spent his life maybe trying to convince his daughter that, no, his bend is really cool. (laughs) And... And then he hears her listening to Dela, and it's kind of uh, not maybe what he wanted all along. Uh, that's just what I'm picturing here. Oh, I love it. I love it. And Paul's storytelling is so hilarious. And, and you can check this out on our YouTube channel. You can watch the video of this as well if, you, if you're interested. You know, I thought Wayne's take on this was really fascinating. And it's something that we've heard echoed throughout a few of these podcasts. We had DJ Shadow in his conversation with Clams Casino take on the same issue and say, look, we're not ruining what you made. We need different laws to protect us sampling just a little part of what you created. Right, and I think creative use extends to every other art form, nearly, right? So I can't see that it would be totally without precedent. It's a fascinating question. It's a fascinating question. Now, Amy Rose, I have to say, I was in the booth, and once the mics and the cameras were off, a very cool thing happened, which is Wayne said to Prince Paul, you know, man, I really do want to collaborate with you. So uh, here's my phone. Put your number in. Incredible. Do you think that they'll thank you in the liner notes? I hope the record's called Elia Einhorn, Connector Extraordinaire. Me too. But uh, I'm really (laughs) looking forward to this record. Now, our next clip is from two artists who have worked together. This, as I mentioned at the top, this is Andy Rourke from The Smiths, one of you and I's favorite bands. Is that fair to say? Yes, Lifelong Loves. We just love The Smiths. And he's speaking with Peter Hook of Joy Division, of New Order, And also, along with Andy and Manny from the Stone Roses and Primal Scream, Freebase. Maybe not the best band name, maybe not the best (laughs) band, as they'll both admit, but an interesting project. And what I loved about this clip that we're going to play is there's moments when we bring together, this, this happened with Carrie Brownstein and Fred Armisen on the Talkhouse Film Podcast, where people who have worked together, who have known each other for years and worked very closely, find out things about each other 
when sitting down for our podcast that they did not know before. So this clip comes from quite early on in the recording. Peter and Andy and I are set up in a banquette at a bar in Midtown, a fancy hotel lounge actually. And Andy's remembering the first time that he and Hookie encountered each other. Check this out. So I'm trying to think when we first met. Um, I know we used to pass on the stairs at uh, TJ's, TJ uh, Davison. God, did we? Me and and Johnny had a room there, yeah. Uh, I didn't know that. Pre Smiths, yeah. Wow. So we, uh, and Buzzcocks. But you must have been young then, though, compared to us. I was like 14, 15. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we used to spend all our, you know, we used to work part time, we used to spend all our our money on the rehearsal space. So the weird thing there then is, is that we'd be 20. Yeah. You must be, well, you must have been just over 12, 13? 13, 14, yeah. Fucking hell. But I mean, a 20-year-old kid isn't going to take any notice of anyone who's 13. Exactly. You just don't, do you? <laughs> you probably passed me on the stairs. And yeah, what the yeah. fuck's he doing? Yeah, probably shoplifting. Yeah. <laughs> or stealing, like slaughtering the bleeding dogs, yeah. Uh, God, that's weird. So um, you started really early then, didn't you? Yeah. I never knew that. See how much I've learnt today already. Yeah. And... Um, one time they put us in, in a separate room and it was uh, directly below yours. And but the 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 warehouse was so decrepit, we could actually see it through, <laughs> through the gaps. Yeah, we'd see, see little bits. Yeah, because the dust used to come down, didn't it? When you were doing it, I wonder uh, if that ever happened to him, TJ. I don't know. Someone was telling me he's still about because he'd be about sixty. That's weird to think that he'd be sixty-five. Yeah, sixty-five, sixty-eight, or something. Fucking scary, isn't it? All these fucking skeletons walking over our grave, mate. I love that so much and for so many different reasons, but this is a pre-Smiths Andy and Johnny Marr. Johnny Marr, who of course formed the Smiths with singer Morrissey, in the rehearsal space, looking up to their idols. And and as Nick Dawson, our film editor-in-chief, pointed out when I told him this story and played in the tape, they're literally looking up to their idols so cool and just I love how young they are it reminds me of like how you have the Muppets and the Muppet Babies I'm picturing that version (laughs) of these guys it's really sweet it's amazing to see what these bands went on to be and of course Joy Division were a huge inspiration for the Smiths and Morrissey and Johnny Marr took their demo to Factory who turned them down (laughs) it's really incredible to have them discover that together on the podcast all these years later I loved it That, that was a magical moment for me it really was. And, and Amy Rose, thank you so much for taking time to go over some of the special moments from the podcast so far this year with me. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Absolutely. Listeners, if you enjoy the TalkHouse Music Podcast or the TalkHouse Film Podcast, which was just honored by the Webbies, please rate and subscribe on iTunes so that others can find us as well. And check out all of our past episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Thanks so much for listening. Till next time. 